the Holy Spirit is doing something new. We are in already the beginnings of a move of God that is desperately needed, but a move of God that has the capacity to change you forever. This move of God is not necessarily, although it will include this, manifestations of miraculous signs and wonders and manifestations of power upon God's people. That's going to happen. But the feature of this move will not be the manifestations. We've been through and experienced many moves of God that have prepared us and brought us to this point. Moves of God in which there have been wonderful manifestations. Falling and laughing and shaking. The oil manifestation where God in every service for two years in this church and other places as well brought manifestation of oil supernaturally upon people's heads and hands. And uh, many, many ways in which God has been working in miraculous ways and through signs and wonders. And uh, all these things are wonderful, but it's, it's not enough just to have a sign upon your life. You need God's presence in your life. And the Holy Spirit, in this move, is going to do something we desperately need. And that is a deeper work in our hearts. Now, this is normal Christianity. So often, I think that uh, what we call revival is actually normal Christianity. Certainly, personal revival is normal. We need to be full of God, full of His Spirit, and living the way Jesus intended us to live so the kingdom of God can come in us and be demonstrated through us. But as we advance in this century, it's not going to get any easier. We're going to see in Western Europe and in different parts of the world increased hostility against the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see laws increasingly come in to make it harder and harder to be and practice Christianity, to be a Christian and practice it, harder and harder to evangelize, harder and harder to keep your jobs if you are a believer. And that's just the, that's just the manifestation of what is happening behind the scenes in the spiritual realm the enemy knows his time is short. And so he is ramping up the demonic outpour of attack upon God's people. And only those who are deep in their faith will survive. Only those who know how to dig deep in the things of God and draw from the waters of salvation and, 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 and sustenance will be able to survive this. And so it's very, very serious. But you may say that's, that's the bad news. Well, the, the good news is, is Jesus said in the world you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have opposition and darkness and the powers of darkness are going to attack you. But I have overcome the world. 
And so the Holy Spirit is preparing our hearts for a deep work. We are going to have such fellowship with Jesus. He's going to be as real to us and even more real than the people sitting around us. We're going to know what it really is to have this one-on-one and community relationship with Christ. It is going to be so real, so amazing, so wonderful that there will be nothing we would be prepared to do or not prepared to do for Him. It's going to draw us. The Spirit is preparing the bride for the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And so that's the kind of prophetic background. Um, to this. I'm not going to go any further into prophetic specifics, but that's the background to show you that this is what the Spirit is saying to the churches. All over the world, people ask me, what's happening? And they're saying, in America, what's happening? We, we don't know, we're confused, and we don't know what, what God is doing in different parts of the world. And I say, this is what he's doing. He is deepening our experience of God. And superficial stuff, we will think, why were we ever, ever interested in that? It'll be all about him. Now, the story... In Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, I read it earlier, so I won't read it again, just remind you of it. It's a story of a woman who anointed Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't that, isn't that staggering? Because there isn't a person here that wouldn't say, Jesus, anoint me, please. But this woman saw something. She saw the value of who Jesus is. And she gave everything that she had in this self-sacrificial act of breaking open this jar or alabaster box, whatever shape it was, which contained very precious oil of spikenard, so rare even in those days, had to be imported all the way from India. And this woman doubtless had collected this bit by bit, rather than going to a bank, which they didn't have quite in that way. She would buy whatever drops she could buy, put it into this alabaster jar, into this alabaster box, and, and she would collect it, knowing that as it, it, more, she collected more than she would have some security for the future, a kind of pension, a kind of savings account. And by reckon, re- reckoning, it was worth at this point a year's wages. And that would have taken a long time to save all this up. But she came to this house where there was a dinner party going on. And she was not invited, but she broke into that party and she had something to do. What was she doing there? Where did she come from? We we don't really know, but it's possible that earlier in the day, Jesus had met with her as he was preaching and teaching, and, and something happened to her. She was changed. She was saved. And she just fell in love with Jesus. And she said, I can't get enough of him. There's nothing, I can't do enough for him. What can I, he's so precious, what can I give him? And the idea came. She came and presented this 
exotic, expensive perfume represented her whole life. What she'd been working for, what she'd been saving for, what she'd been investing in for so many years. And she breaks it open at the feet of Jesus and she pours out this fragrant perfume over the head of Jesus. What a radical act of worship. It was costly. It cost her everything. And of course, there was no going back. She couldn't say, oh, I made a mistake. I didn't mean to spill it all. Let me try and catch some back. It was finished. It was over. There was no going back. But it was also a releasing act. It released something. This fragrance that permeated the whole house. And, and the, the truth is told, not just the house, but the whole of the world. Because Jesus said in His prophecy is being fulfilled tonight that wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's devotion, what she has done, will be spoken of as a memorial to her. For the women, you might want to think more about the, the beautiful perfume, the fragrance, and how that spread throughout all the earth. Maybe for the men, we want to think about the impact that she made. One impact has lasted generation after generation and has impacted the whole world. That's what can happen when you release that's within you and give it to Jesus. There's a long lasting, permanent impact. And I think we need to learn from this lady because many of us know what it is to come under the power of God, quote unquote, manifest in the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, and, and all these charismatic anointings are powerful and important, and they, they are absolutely from Jesus. But what troubles me is I can see people who are definitely being touched by the Holy Spirit. I've seen them come. And I've seen them go. And at the end of all this process, they're no different at the end than they were at the beginning. Now, it's not just charismatic Christians like that. We need to know what it is to be so hungry for God that every drop, every drop of Holy Spirit perfume, oil that touches us, we're so greedy for it, we take it and, and we don't just let it rest upon us, we grab it and we take it to the very depth of our being so that we can have a lasting, permanent impact. Now, what, what, was, what was she saying? What, what is this about? What does it signify? Some very obvious things. Jesus, you are worth more to me than anything. Oh, that's easily said. But it, it was real. And this is what amazes me, that there is a place that we can get to where Jesus actually really does mean to us more than anything else or anyone else. You say, well, that, yeah, I, I, I believe that. And of course, that, that, that is in you. It's in all of us. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're born again. 
there is a, a lover on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit, who loves Jesus, and he wants to break out and see that love manifested. But the, but the fact is, is that there's so much blocking it. And people say, yes, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. But when it comes to any cost or commitment that's involved with following him, suddenly we have other things that we love. Also, I think she's saying, Jesus, this, this perfume, this perfumed oil, it belongs to you because you are the fragrant one. No one else. Everything else stinks. But you don't. I think she was also saying, and Jesus indicates this, that she was testifying to something. She saw something in her radical devotion to Christ. She saw something that very few understood. She said, Jesus, just as this jar, this alabaster box is broken so that the perfume may be released, so you are going to be broken on the cross. That your life may spread throughout all the earth and be available to everybody. She saw that. Jesus said, she's anointed me on behalf of my burial. But there's something else here in this crushing. Do you know this word for break is the word for crush. It's the word that we find in Romans 16, verse 20. Let's read that together on the screen. And the God of peace will break, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is what Paul was saying to the, to the Romans. God's going to use you to stamp on Satan's head. There's going to be a victory, a real victory, and the grace of God is going to be seen through your life. That's what he was saying. But it's the same word. I don't think that's a coincidence. This woman saw that in this act of crushing, it's not just that Jesus would be crushed, but that the enemy would be destroyed. What does the first word of the gospel say in Genesis 3.15? What does it say? The seed of the woman shall crush the head of the snake, and he shall bruise his heel. She saw that just in the same way that that this spikenard root, as it was crushed and the oil and perfume was, was released, so Jesus was crushed and the fragrance of Christ is released. And the lesson is very clear being released. That's the hard exterior. Those are the layers of the flesh. The Bible says that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. The only thing that can stop the life and fragrance of Christ from being released in you is your flesh. The devil can't do it. He can't stop it. Only your flesh. Our real problem is the problem of our flesh. Our hard-heartedness. Our resistance. I'm talking about resistance in our hearts. I'm not talking about who can shout the loudest in a praise service. I'm not talking about who can preach the best sermon. 
I'm not talking about who can look the best on Sunday. I'm talking about what's going on in here. A hard-heartedness, a resistance, a self-centeredness, a self-reliance, a rebelliousness. You see, the flesh is 100% rebellious against God. And the flesh is 100% centered on itself. So, what is this brokenness if we've got to get it? I think we need to say what it's not, first of all. Because many, many people think they know what brokenness is. They say, you've no idea I'm brokenhearted. You've no idea the painful, crushing circumstances that I've been through. You've no idea what disappointments in life crush me. Even to this very moment, you have no idea. People confuse that with being broken. No, it's not. That's being in anguish. Anguish of spirit. People say, I've lost all hope, I'm totally broken, I've got nothing to live for, nothing to, nothing to go for in life, it's all gone, it's over, I'm broken. Well, you're broken in a sense, but I'm talking about spiritual brokenness. There are plenty of people who have been broken by circumstances and are further from God as a result of it. The kind of brokenness that I'm talking about is a brokenness that brings you closer and closer to God because you know everything else will fail, everything else has failed, and you and I are the worst failures of all, and yet there is still hope because he says, come unto me, all you who are heavy, laden, and a burden, come to me, and I'll give you the garments of praise in place of that spirit of heaviness. When we talk about brokenness, we talk about how we need to break the will of somebody. And there are plenty of people who have been broken in their home. Because it's all been ab about domination. You do this. Or else, I'm going to break your will. And so there's a battle of the wills. And many, many kids have been broken. Their will has been broken. And, and they, they put up with it because they have no choice until they get old enough to run as far as they can away from God and you. Brokenness. Being dominated by other people. It's not about self-hatred. Oh, I hate myself. So what? That's not brokenness. Or even being defeated. There are plenty of defeated people. They're not broken because they're not defeated where it really counts. They're still trying. It's not even just walking around with guilt feelings. In fact, very often some of these things so often are, are confused for brokenness that they actually get in the way of real brokenness. So what is it then? What is that brokenness, that broken spirit within us? that David said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire. Otherwise, I'd have, bring, I'd have done it, I'd have brought it. But God, this is what you want. A broken and contrite heart. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. What's that about? The Apostle Paul speaks like this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I want you to understand, I've learned something about myself. I've learned that in me, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. Nothing. I have no power to overcome my flesh of myself. 
Nothing can do it. Self-discipline can't do it. Counseling can't do it. Casting demons out can't do it. Inner healing can't do it. Because the flesh, don't try and get it healed. Don't try and change it. Don't rehabilitate the flesh. Flesh is flesh is flesh. I have no power to overcome it, he said. And he came to the point of utter hopelessness and powerlessness in and of himself. In and of himself. And he was therefore on the threshold of, a, of the greatest discovery. Yes, he could say truly, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? I thank God by Jesus Christ. Amen. And very quickly, he is talking about what that release felt like. He says, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. This kind of brokenness, friends, can only come when we focus on Christ and lose all consciousness of yourself. When, you, when you're so focused on Christ, you see Him for who He is, something breaks within you. Because you know you can't be like that. And yet you want to be. And so you say, God help me. This kind of brokenness only comes when we take the alabaster box of the old life and smash it so the new life of Christ can be released. That brokenness comes when we break all confidence in the ability of the flesh to the point of becoming totally dependent on Christ. I can't do it. I'm not even going to try. You're very close when you think like that. Because he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he says, without me you can do nothing. But with me you can do all things. We're close to brokenness when we renounce that self-centeredness of the flesh and of the self that is looking for glory, glory of self. And our, our biggest passion until this happens to us is ourselves. You know that. From the conception onwards, right until you come to Christ, there's only one desire in you, only one nature, and that is for you to get the glory. That's all it is. Self-centeredness. How terrible is this to see so many Christians going in all, even in ministry. And you can just tell, you just tell, you can smell, not that you're being, not that you're being uh, judgmental. You can just smell the stinking flesh. And the anointing can be flowing and bodies flying and people getting healed and hundreds saved. But it's all about the glory of the man. And you recognize that smell because you have smelt it before on yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you come to the place where you renounce the flesh's passion for self-glory and a new passion is released for the glory of Christ and the glory of God. So if that's what it is, and how, what practical steps can we take? Let me ask you some questions tonight. What are you most trusting in for comfort? For security? 
I reckon this lady, she took out that box every so often and said, you know, thank God I've got this. Here's my security. Here's my comfort. Pretty soon I'm going to be, I'm going to get the heaven out of here. What, what gives you the most comfort? What gives you the most security? What gives you the most meaning and purpose? What, what gives you the most satisfaction? You say, well, I don't know, I haven't got it, but what would give it to you, according to you, if you, if you did get it? What is it? What is so precious even now in your heart and in my heart as we sit before God in, this, in His presence? What is so precious in us that we guard, we treasure, we nurture, we protect, and we trust it to bring us what we're longing for out of life. There's pleasure, joy, satisfaction. It could be relationships, it could be finance, it could be position, it could be any one of a num- number of things. For Paul, it was his zeal for religion and his place in it. He was zealous for religion, his religion, and, and his place within it. It took Jesus to break him before he said, Yes, Lord. For the rich young ruler, it was his wealth. And it wasn't such a good ending to the story. He was trusting in his wealth. His wealth was his idol, and and he refused to let go of it. And so Jesus let go of him. For King Herod, it was his position on the throne. He saw everything in the light of whether it was a threat to his kingdom, a threat to his rule. And all of us are the same because we live on the throne of self until Christ claims it as the rightful ruler. For Peter, it was his determination to show Jesus he was better than the rest. I'm better than them. I'm never going to forsake you. They're going to abandon you, not me. I can do it. I, I, I'm first. I'm first. I have the answer. I can do it. They don't know. They're dumb. Jesus, me, 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 me. He had to learn the hard way. Had to be utterly broken. Jesus says, you're boasting, Peter. You're crowing like a cockerel. Let me tell you about another cockerel that's going to crow. That cockerel's going to crow before it's crowed three times. You, you, will have, you will have denied me. No, never! Never! How little did he know what, what corruption, what self-centeredness, what egotism, what pride, what arrogance was going on beneath his heart. The great thing about brokenness is your heart is laid bare. And when you look at that, you say, help me. Jesus. For the Pharisees, it was the praise of men. They loved the praise of men. And many of them refused the kingdom because they loved the praise of men. Is that like you tonight? Do you value what other people say about you more than what Jesus says about you? Then that's an idol. It is to be broken tonight in Esther Noche. Jesus gave us the example when he, he laid aside all the treasures and riches of heaven. Emptied himself of all of that and made himself nothing. 
and was prepared to die on the cross, to be broken on the cross. And that same Jesus taught us the number one spiritual requirement in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. It means, God, I've got nothing. There's nothing I can do to save myself. There's nothing I can do to keep myself saved. But it's not just about getting saved. We've also got to go on and say, God, there is nothing that I can do of myself to please you or to live a holy life. And, and the, the most wonderful point you come to in your life when you really realize it. You've gone to every conference, done every gimmick, done everything, followed every trend, jumped on every bandwagon, and you realize that at the end of it, when all the shouting is done and finished, you are just the same as you ever were. Blessed place. Because you're so close to brokenness. You just need to make a decision. God, I get it. I can't do it. Take me, God. You have got to empower me. It's got to be you. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's got to be God. Or it'll never work. I'll ne I can't change myself. No amount of discipline, no amount of right doctrine, no amount of legalism telling me I should do this or that. No amount of moralism can do it. No amount of fake repentance can do it. Only the spirit of brokenness that blows it wide open and we see if what it really is. God in me, there dwells no good thing. There's no hope, but who can deliver me? I know it's got to be you, Jesus, only you. Anything that is holding you back. Anything that is blocking the fragrance of Christ is a barrier that has got to be broken or removed. An idol that's got to be toppled. Every attitude, every motivating energy within you, every action on your part that is rooted in the flesh stinks. That's the truth, isn't it? But every attitude that is motivated by the Spirit, every action, no matter how weak or feeble or how incomplete, rooted in the Spirit of God, carries the fragrance of Christ. Could the musicians please start to make their way back? You see, what happens, friends, is that we mistake what we've built for God through the flesh for the real treasure. And so often, even so-called spiritual talk and spiritual presentation is nothing other than protecting and preserving the treasure of the self within. Self-control, self-love, self-glory, self-effort. All of this blocks the release of the life of Christ. But when we give up on all of that and say, God, only you can conquer my flesh. 
I'm broken. I want to ask you a question as we come to minister in the Spirit right now. Are you protecting something? Are you preserving something? Are you maintaining and nurturing something in you which when you examine it, it's really all about you. It's all about the flesh. That's keeping the treasure contained and locked away. That's the obstacle to be removed. And for many Christians, maybe here in Kensington Temple, because you put so much emphasis on your ministry, maybe it is who you think you are in the ministry. Maybe it's who you think you should be or become in the ministry. Don't, don't, don't go there. There's only one ministry. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of Christ. Don't put your stinking flesh into that lot. Only being broken over your total inability to overcome the flesh will release the fragrant power and presence of Jesus. What's that one thing so precious to you that you treasure? You treasure it. Even if it's a good thing. If you're treasuring it more than Christ, it's got to go. You've got to break it tonight and say, God, I want you to be released. And this release will make an impact. That fragrance will first of all make an impact on Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? This impacted Jesus. She did it to him and for him. And it made an impact on him. That's how godly this was. This is all about Christ. She was in it to bless Jesus. Can you see how that's 100% the opposite to what we've been taught in our generation? That it's all about him blessing me. That's the flesh. When you can say it's all about me, blessing Him, there's a release of the Spirit.